Please remain standing as you're able. As we come before God's Word, I'd invite you first to follow along as we recite a part of the Shema, which comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. This does a couple of things. It reminds us of the roots of, of our family uh, tree, and it also helps us be more like Jesus, who would have done this with his disciples as they came before God's Word. So if you'll follow after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Together, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We've been on the Sermon on the Mount this summer, and this is the seventh chapter of Matthew, beginning in verse 7, where Jesus says, Everyone who asks, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to those who knock, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asked you for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked you for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give your children good things, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And in everything, do to others that which you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. When I got in this morning, one of the first things I did was um, sign a few checks. We have a policy in our church that if a check that the church is writing is over a certain amount, it has the treasurer's signature and then requires the second uh, signature of the pastor. I think when we come to prayer, a lot of people really have an idea that that's probably what prayer is like as well. We sort of fill in the blank for what we would ask, like to ask God for and then we sign it. And then we see if we can get God to sign off on it as well. And, we, and so part of the issue in prayer becomes, how do we get that second signature? Well, now, some people do it this way. They figure they'll just sort of slip it in past God. You know, give God a whole bunch of things to think about and then kind of slide in the one thing they really want. So they start with world peace and children starving in India, people who are flooded in Pakistan, and then they get to what they really want to ask God for. Well, there are others who just sort of forge God's signature. You know, they might be saying, well, God, I really don't know if I should do X, Y, or Z. But in their mind, they know which one of those they want to do. So they just decide God must be telling them to do it. And they sort of sign it themselves twice. And they go on. But others, others are much more subtle about prayer when they come to God. They look and work and pray and think about what would be just the right words to use for God. What angle could I use that would convince God to go ahead and give me that which I'm asking? And they sort of look like prayer at prayer as a, a subtle form of manipulation, a subtle form of trying to persuade God to do what God probably wouldn't want to do, but you'd want God to do anyway. Some people look at prayer like that, like it's getting a second signature on what we've already signed off on. That could be. But that's not the way Jesus looked at it. What I love about the Sermon on the Mount is here Jesus is very clear that the metaphor for prayer is just this. Someone jumps up in their father's lap and just says, Daddy, would you give me? 
Daddy, I'd really like the controlling metaphor for prayer in the Sermon on the Mount is not presenting a case before a jury or um, a bunch of um, evidence to give to a client to support your cause, but rather it's just a child boldly and trustingly jumping in the father's lap and said, would you give this to me? I thought about that. All three of my children have been much bolder to ask me for things than uh, people who are co-workers, people who are neighbors, are people who perhaps might be considered employees. They're all much more careful in what, how they approach me and, and what they ask me for. But not my kids. They just come in and say, this is what I'd like. And I think that's the way Jesus invites us to think about prayer. Climbing up in God's lap and saying, I know you love me. And I know you want good things for me. I'd like you to consider this. And you put it out in front of God. Prayer, as bold asking, has a lot to support it in the Scriptures. Jesus' own brother James, in the letter of James, says this to people. He says, now the reason you don't have the things you want is because you haven't asked. Paul was known to ask. Paul would ask people to pray for him. Paul would uh, ask God uh, directly. And in fact, we're told by Paul's own admission that three times he asked God to take away the thorn in the flesh. Paul didn't mind asking Abraham didn't mind asking. People of Sodom and Gomorrah were not going to win Time Magazine's Man or Woman of the Year. They were not good folks. But Abraham came before God and boldly asked God to spare them. Moses' own people after the golden calf. God says, I'm finished with them. I'm just going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses boldly asked God to spare those people and go on with us. As we go toward the promised land. The Bible is full of stories about bold asking. About people willing to climb up in God's lap. Or even in the Psalms, get in God's face. Get real close and yell out, this is what I'd like. Would you do this? That is much more a metaphor for prayer in the scriptures. Than coldly and calculating figuring out just what could I get God to agree to. How could I phrase it? Just right. At what point will I throw in Jesus' name to get this? That's not prayer. That's not the relationship that the scriptures think of. They think of a bold asking. Scott Hare took uh, a number of people um, uh, to Israel from Riverside. And uh, my son Reed and Donna Bellamy and Travis Wirt from this church went. And one of the things they learned about was um, about a rabbi who when the... uh, heavens were shut up and it wasn't raining, which is serious, as you know, here, even more so in Israel, drew a circle. And the rabbi got in the circle and he said to God, I am not getting out of the circle till you make it rain because we need rain. We need to grow our crops. We need to eat. We need to drink. And soon a gentle rain began to fall. And the rabbi said, God, I'm not getting out of the circle. Gentle rain isn't going to do it. We need a lot more rain than that. And I'm staying here till the rain comes. All of a sudden, buckets of rain started pouring down. And the rabbi said, God, that's, that's too much. That's a flood. That would, that would hurt people. That would ruin what we're trying to do. We won't be able to grow crops. People will get hurt. Homes will be destroyed. I'm staying here till we get a steady rain. And sure enough, a steady rain came. Now, I wasn't there to verify 
And none of us were around the story of, of Rabbi Honey. But I think it's a picture of what often happens in Scripture. People just boldly ask God. They don't carefully manipulate. They boldly ask. But here's the deal. If you're going to boldly ask God for something, you've got to be flexible enough to leave it in God's hands. To let God decide what God's going to do with that. Jesus boldly in the Garden of Gethsemane says, let this cup pass from me. And God says, uh, no. No. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be best. If we're going to be bold enough to come before God and ask for those things that are important to us, we have to be trusting and flexible enough to receive whatever answer or lack of answer may come our way. Because quite frankly, God often does not answer prayer in the way that we want it answered. Often it doesn't happen like that. Uh, and could be lots of reasons for that. People have been thinking about this uh, for centuries. One of the basic reasons is maybe what we're asking for is just plain selfish. Gerald Sitzer, in a wonderful book called When God Doesn't Answer Your Prayer, says, You know, if we got everything we asked for, we would probably, he said, be bigger monsters than Hitler or Stalin. We'd probably really make a mess of things. And you remember Bruce Almighty, you, you, you know what that might look like. We, we might mess things up because often our motivations are selfish. Uh, sometimes when we pray, we're just not having a good or complete understanding of things. Um, uh, Billy Graham's daughter put it this way. She said, if I'd gotten everything I prayed for as a teenager... I would have been married several times by now and none of them to my husband. I mean, sometimes our understanding is just not quite complete and, uh, and we ask for things. C.S. Lewis said it before Garth Brooks and that is that we thank God for unanswered prayer. Because sometimes uh, we just haven't asked right or what we've asked might hurt somebody else. Uh, our motives might be selfish, or we might just not seen, uh, foresee the unseen uh, consequences of getting what we would ask for. Sometimes if you play it out a little bit, it doesn't quite go so well for everyone who is, uh, who's concerned. Uh, oftentimes the answer is, no, not in that way. Martin Luther put it this way. Oftentimes we ask God for silver. God says no. But in turn gives us what becomes gold. Because God knows things. Sometimes the timing's just not good. We're not ready to receive it or um, other people involved aren't quite ready. And so maybe God say, you know, not yet. This, this isn't the right time. All three of my children drive. You know, it was probably a good thing. The youngest is 18. But none of them probably drove when they thought they were ready for it. I mean, every year, don't we read about some eight-year-old that takes the keys to a car and goes on a joyride? They think they're ready, but they're not. Sometimes our prayers are like that. We want to get behind the wheel, but it's just not time for that. Sometimes we're not ready or not right. Sometimes other people, they're not ready for what our, our prayer might end up doing uh, in their life. So sometimes we just have to take, take some time. When people receive things before they're ready for them, sometimes those things don't really help them. They hurt them. I mean, look at all the athletes we know about who become instant millionaires at 22 years old. And their lives start to take a tumble. They're just not ready to receive. And God knows that about us and knows that about other people. 
So if we're going to boldly ask God for something, we've got to be willing to hear God say, well, no, that wouldn't be best, or this really isn't the time, or maybe God says, just keep praying. Look at all the parables that Jesus tells about persistence, knocking on the door and prayer. And, uh, and, and Luke 18 says, Jesus says, he told these parables so that they wouldn't quit praying. Um, sometimes God just wants us to keep after it. I'm not completely sure all the reasons. One of them might be this. Um, uh, you've probably heard me tell one of my favorite stories I learned about the rabbis uh, this winter was about two rabbis who were great rabbis, great men of God. And it, there was a drought in Israel, and so one of them prayed for it. And the drought did not get broken. It didn't rain. So finally another great rabbi, Rabbi Kiva, started praying for it. And sure enough, it started raining almost immediately. And so Akiva's disciples were a little confused and they came to him and they said, how come when this other great rabbi prayed, God didn't answer, nothing happened. But when you prayed, it started raining immediately. And Akiva said, well, it's like this. There was a king who had two daughters. And one daughter was shrill and whiny and really not a lot of fun to be around. And so when she would come in and ask the king for something, he'd give it to her immediately so she wouldn't stay long. But another daughter was pleasant, attractive, fun. And he wouldn't give her what she wanted because he wanted her to come back again and again. And so he made the point, maybe God just wanted to hear from that other guy more often. We don't know why God takes that uh, and doesn't answer on our timetable. But one of the things we do know is that God wants us to be with God. And if, if prayer drives us to being with God, so much the better. And maybe God knows that the more we pray, the more maybe changes start to happen in us. Maybe we knock on the door long enough, we begin to realize there's a handle there in the door that we could probably turn and open if we cared enough about it. Sometimes when you pray enough about an issue, you begin to realize what you can do to help in that issue. You begin to realize that the solution is not in God's magic wand. But part of the solution may even be in your own hands. Soren Kierkegaard said, true prayer is not when you pray enough so that God finally hears you. True prayer is when you pray enough so you finally hear God. And maybe God's just waiting to the point where you're growing and you're strong enough to start to respond to the things that are important to you that you're asking God about. Maybe God's giving you or me an opportunity to grow while God doesn't seem to be answering the answer is really happening within us the whole time. Because it's been said, and I think it is true, that, that the person who, who, uh, who is changed in prayer is the one who prays. That really that's the change. The situation may change immediately or it may not. But the person changes. And so what has been said, and Oswald Chambers I think said it uh, first, was uh, in prayer I change and then things change. Maybe we become more the person that uh, God wants us to be. The longer we knock, maybe we see the door handle, or maybe we just become stronger with our fist. But something happens, and the good Father uh, who has us in the lap then is ready to turn us loose for whatever God has for us. That turns out not only to answer our prayers, but probably answer the prayers of others as well. Because the person who prays is the one who changes probably more than the situation that we're praying about changes. But then when you change, the situation changes with it. And so Jesus invites us 
to the Father's lap. Jesus, I think, knows that the more careful we are about prayer, the more we try to get our words just right, or get the right uh, name thrown in at the right time, or the right reason why God should do this, that that means we're probably not growing in trust. But that the more boldly we just ask, and the, more, and the more faithfully we're willing to live with whatever the response is, then we're becoming the person that God wants us to be. Gerald Sitzer says this. He says, the greatest people in the Christian faith that he knows, who are what he calls masters of prayer, they all have one thing in common. They all had a devastating experience of unanswered prayer. But they just kept praying anyway. It's not the quick and easy answers that we want that really make us the people God has called us to be. It's when the answer doesn't seem to come. And we wrestle and we knock and and maybe even our knuckles are getting bloody. But God is shaping us. And God is working with us. And God is always planning to give us what is right and best at the appropriate time. What changes in prayer may or may not be the situation, but it will be us. Richard Foster talks about getting up in the morning and making pancakes for his children. He said they'd come running downstairs with great excitement to eat these pancakes for breakfast. He said when they came running downstairs to the kitchen table, they weren't worried about whether we were going to have pancakes tomorrow or the next day. And he said they certainly weren't even worried about the cost of eggs. They just came and sat down and enjoyed. And I think in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is basically saying, come. Sit in the Father's lap. Ask. Enjoy. I think in prayer, we're invited to a great feast.